0: So today, I'm uh, delighted to welcome Ross Singleton to the show. Uh, Ross has an incredible career, predominantly in uh, telecoms and angel investing, um, with over 30 years spent in the field. She's worked her way up from project manager, program manager, to head of strategy, to COO at Relish Networks, um, and to the managing director of broadband at three. And now she chairs the uh, UK 5G advisory board, as well as doing all of her angel investments. Ross, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you very much for joining us.
1: That's a pleasure, Tom. Nice of you to have me.
0: Now, I know we are uh, going to delve into uh, angel investing at length, but I wanted to start and ask kind of what have been your career highlights?
1: One of my first jobs, actually, I was a tea lady, you know, uh, like Mrs. Doyle, uh, pushing, (laughs) pushing a tea trolley around with buns on it and those sorts of things. And I think... You know, jobs like that, and I was talking to somebody other there about this and things like being a bartender, you know, they, they teach you a lot about actually how you make people happy and how you listen to people and how important listening to people actually is in most jobs. Um, and so in a weird way, that that was a highlight. And I've sort of worked my way through a variety of jobs as somebody relatively unqualified. Um, you know, I started work when I was full time when I was just about 18. One of the things I will say that, that I learned all the way through is that actually leadership is so important in, in how you experience a company and how much you enjoy working there. You generally need to feel like you're doing something useful and you're following somebody who is doing something for good reasons and knows what they're doing and has a direction um, rather than, at least for me, I've never really wanted to sit there and feel like I'm turning the handle on a day-to-day basis.
0: So one, one quick question, though, on that. Your, your role in UK5G, you know, you're, you're chairing this advisory committee. And it's obviously a hot topic. Um, I would love to learn a bit more about kind of what you're actually doing.
1: UK 5G was set up by the government in 2018 to help foster the ecosystem around 5G in the UK. So the UK didn't do very well with 4G. We were much slower rolling it out commercially and we never really understood the potential of it, I think, in the same way other nations did, who are still, you know, if you look at uh, Korea, Japan, China, you know, the way they use data, the way they use apps, where use systems are still miles ahead of where we are, just, just from the sheer volume, actually, of the data they consume in Hong Kong is, is you know, probably 10 times a monthly basis what we do. So the UK government decided what would be a really good idea with 5G is, is to fund um, a, a programme uh, about information and moving the agenda forwards, if you like, which includes our test beds and trials programme. Um, and that is administered by a group of, of, called UK 5G, um, of which I chair the advisory board. So the idea is that we, we try and do things with 5G that you wouldn't necessarily think of. So it's not about the, you know, consumers sitting on the bus being able to, you know, be our fruit ninja or whatever it is. It is much more about industrial applications. So things like, you know, for agritech, which is really interesting, or aquaculture or uh, social care you know, medical care, all those sorts of things. We've had lots and lots of different test and trials. Ones that are about urban environments, ones that are about rural environments, and ones that are about, you know, proving use cases. And in the last year and a half or so, we've set up these working groups, and I love the working groups, I'm really proud of them, because actually they work with a much wider group of people all across the country in in various industries. So, for example, we have one for the creative industries, which covers, you know, TV, gaming, marketing, all sorts of things. One that covers uh, local authorities, one that covers manufacturing, you know, and many more including security and international activity. And, And they actually reach out into those communities, gather information, bring it back, engage people in those communities. So it's much broader than the advisory group. And what that means is we actually have people in local authorities, in local enterprise partnerships, in small businesses who understand what we're doing and can support and evangelize that.
0: It sounds fantastic. And it sounds very much like you've got almost a startup approach to that, where you're constantly um, surveying the various end users, You know, those being the different industries that might benefit from the rollout of it.
1: I think it's really important um, in the sense of as well, getting the information out to as many people as possible. We're spending public money on these trials to prove things. And to provide better information and evidence for you know, industry to be able to create business cases and people to, to get inspired put various you like, chunks of ideas together to create other things and to prove that there is profitability or, or certainly a, a viable business case for local authorities or for businesses to be able to roll out solutions around 5G.
0: I mean, you, you've clearly had a fantastic career and obviously are heavily involved in, in what's going on how then do you did you make your transition into angel investing and how do you find the time
1: i suppose in about 2014 or 15 i was at a women in telecoms and technology event which is actually chaired by one of my colleagues at angel academy the angel investing group i'm a member of and sarah turner who is the ceo of angel academy this angel investing group i'm part of was speaking there and uh, it was really great to see her and one of the portfolio company CEOs was speaking as well, because I'd always thought of angel investing as being, you know, guys who invest in Mark Zuckerberg or, you know, wearing blue suits, marching around the city carrying folios and you know, largely being rude and shouting about spreadsheets a lot. You know, that that whole thing. And I thought it was something for mega rich people. So I'm very fortunate I'm, I've been quite successful, but I'm certainly not mega rich. <laughs> So to actually see Sarah, who seemed relatively normal, um, you know, talk about this, she made it very accessible and um, easy to understand and not like you needed to know everything about business to be able to run it. And all those things are the sorts of barriers that if you had considered it before, and to be honest, I hadn't even considered it before because it always sounded like this fantastical sort of American type thing, you know, then it, it just made it plausible. So I got in touch with Sarah um, and went to a pitch event and it was just really brilliant interesting and fun and I met lots of people I wouldn't have met otherwise and I saw some great companies pitch um you know with these amazing founders who who just have so much energy and extraordinary ideas and a passion for what they do um, and I've actually found it's been brilliant because I've learned so much about so many different things I mean you say I'm quite involved in the businesses genuinely compared to some uh, investors I'm not but I'll absolutely support them if they ask me for help where my skill set's useful which you know, uh, often it's not the primary skill set they're looking for, as I'm not a marketing person. Uh, but I really, really enjoy watching the businesses, learning from them, learning from the entrepreneurs um, and and providing help when I can to them as well.
0: So you got involved back in 2014, 2015 time. Yeah. Um, how long did it take before you actually made your first investment?
1: Well, I think my first ever investment was at the first pitch meeting I went to. Ah. Uh, it did take a few months to close um, but I was I was again massively impressed with the founder who was um, a scientist who had uh, converted over to data science and was providing you know a route for other people to do the same you know and again this sort of you know space scientist so I'm a bit of a nerd so I'm like oh science because uh, you know I left school fairly early and I, I don't know that much about those sorts of things other than what I've read since and uh, it was great. And, and the whole thing is, you know, it, it is really an interesting insight into different industries and, and industries that are coming along. So Angel Academy is, um, I should point out, a primarily yes. female um, investment group. So we are about, well, our diversity target is about 30% men. So we try and make sure we balance things up that way. Um, but essentially, we are set up to um, encourage investing by women as angels into other businesses which have at least one female founder. So, so the idea is we're out there really to encourage more investment from women because women actually have a lot of the purse strings, uh, but tend to not to be directed towards actually higher risk investments. And obviously, you know, we we can all see lots of evidence for, you know, why this isn't such a good situation for anyone. And why well, it's probably not the smartest thing to do in terms of success either. So, so yeah, we invest, we invest in uh, diverse startup teams and we, we try and make sure we are a diverse set of investors as well. Very few of the companies we are invested in, I would say, are ones that you would consider traditionally female or aimed primarily at a female market.
0: Um, and I won't share your, your full portfolio, but there is definitely a diversity among uh, industries that the companies that you have back uh, span. So coming to that though, oftentimes what you hear about angel investing is that you should stick to things that you know, uh, you know, like, and if I had to pigeonhole you, I would say you should only invest in telecom stuff because you've got this yeah, right? career <laughs> in telecoms, but you've definitely broken that mold. You know, you've, you've got a, a great background in telecoms and, and technology, but um, if we look at, you know, just two companies in your portfolio, just to, to show some, the span of what you've done, um, one of them is actually one of our portfolio companies, which is called Nixon Kicks who make fantastic beverages <laughs> if you've, I mean if you've traveled well I would say by train in the last 12 months but you know before lockdown you've probably seen them at most of the, the stations they stock them in, in nice nice places so talk me through how do you approach something like Nixon and kicks where it's you know a fast-moving consumer good um, it's not something that you've necessarily dealt with directly how do you how do you conduct due diligence on that and what is it that you're looking for
1: well, I'm, I'm very lucky, actually. With um, Angel Academy, we do due diligence in groups. Obviously, you know, we're still responsible for our own decisions. But we have a process for due diligence. We actually have a, like, written-down process, which I really appreciate. It, it, it speaks to, you know, my background. So my background is actually largely in IT and telecom. So, you know, technology is not a million miles away. True. I understand software and those sorts of things to a greater or lesser extent. But, yeah, soft drinks was a bit of a, a break. For me, from that, I would say, you know, you go about due diligence by working with your colleagues, actually, in the angel investing group, because quite a few of them know a lot about FMCG. You know, we have people who are have been very senior in a variety of very serious FMCG companies. And at the end of the day, you know, there's a set of accounts and projections and and there's a founding team. And I think what we all know with with angel investing is, is, you know, almost it doesn't matter how great the product is it's always going to be about product market fit timing and that little bit of fairy dust that just makes the luck work you know and having the right founders and the right team to to, you know either make the luck or take advantage of it when it happens right and those are the things that i think actually make a difference and if i look at the founding team of Nix and kicks i mean kirsten and julia are amazing they are energetic they really care about their people they taught themselves how to do this and i have to say you know somebody is not a massive fan of soft drinks as a general rule they i really like them they're really good it's really nice to actually have a soft drink that doesn't make my teeth feel like it's going to fall (laughs) out and that was the other thing is you know i i actually like the product Um, and you know it's vegan it's alcohol free it's low sugar the KN kick in it i love as well because it does yeah. pick you up a bit you know it's yeah. like doing something it's great
0: no fantastic at the other end of the spectrum you mentioned earlier you know you're a bit of a bit of a nerd um you've got <laughs> you invested in provenance um which yeah. develops blockchain technology um for businesses to track items through supply chains yeah. which again like completely fascinating but fmcg and then blockchain <laughs> you know on this side <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I suppose some of it is the same because you highlighted that you have a, a process for due diligence, but mm-hmm. um, how do you change, if at all, the approach to that type of bi- business versus a Nixon and kicks? Or you know is there anything different you're looking for?
1: Yeah, I mean, again, what, what I would say is in both of them, what, what I look for is strength of the founders, structure to a greater or lesser extent, and de- depending on the system, you know, how do you produce what you do? How do you make sure what you do works? How do you make sure your customers are happy? You know, those sorts of things. So I'm quite process oriented. And it's about understanding what you need to focus on in terms of what are the key things that as a leader of a business that you need to focus on to deliver what you need to deliver to your customers, which let's face it, are who pay you and who will help your business grow. And it's absolutely about that sort of laser focus on doing that and sorting out the key issues with your business so whether it's you know in the case of the nicks and kicks team you know they have really robust well-rehearsed brexit plans if we talk about provenance i love provenance they are really interesting they're incredibly purpose-driven they've got over quite a lot of lumps and bumps over the way where you know it's just this stuff is hard to um, be able to work with everything from texting technology through to proper barcode scanning technology and all these things to actually make sure you can track a something. So a tin of tuna, for example, you know, you can follow a tin of cult tuna with provenance all the way back to where it came out of the ocean and the person that fished it out. You know, so you know where something came from. And you know, clearly you can see so many applications for that, whether it's on auction sites for let's say secondhand handbags or designer clothes, to actually where your food comes from, to Uh, signing of documents or the evolution of documents like deeds, you know, and and the blockchain's like the headline that's fancy, but actually that that isn't the key. They understand, and Jessie, the CEO, understands very much that blockchain is is a tool that helps this stuff happen. She's very purpose-driven. They're a B corporation, you know, and again, has that very smart, structured approach, meets targets, understands, you know, when she says she'll do something that she's committing to it, and so do her team, you know, really good leader. Well thought of in the industry, you know all these things that that are actually, I suppose, common um, in between lots of the the, I suppose, more successful businesses I've been behind, and the ones that over time, you know, you realise you can continue to be really enthusiastic about, or about that consistency of purpose and the consistency of focus on delivery, delivery not just for your customers actually, but also for your teams inside. I mean. Both companies through lockdown have focused very strongly on making sure their teams are engaged and that their well being is looked after.
0: Yeah, and I think with Nixon Kicks, if I'm not mistaken, they they managed to open up their online shop within like a couple of weeks of lockdown starting. It was one yep. of those, you know what? We're just gonna open online shop. I'm sure it's going well because the last update was good. <laughs> yeah, it was nice to see the you know, these companies that can adapt so quickly to the changing uh, oh yeah macro. Yeah, I, I
1: may I may have a couple of cases of mix and kick stuff in my garage.
0: <laughs> Fantastic. We looked a little bit at kind of what you look for. I want to talk about like red flags for a second. So let's assume that you know you had Fantastic founder, fantastic project. Are there any things that you would say are less obvious red flags that kind of put you off a, a company?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, you know, again, some of these come from experience. And some of these, are, what I'm finding with red flags is they're very personal. If we're saying in the circumstance, where all the paperwork is, you know, is great. So, you know, the forecasts are good, the history is good and matches the forecast, the references we've taken from, you know, existing investors or whatever are good, you know, et cetera, et cetera. All that stuff is fine. The plans make sense. The things that tend to make me go, you know what, this doesn't work for me are, are largely personal. So if I feel like the founders or the founding team aren't being truthful, I mean, you know, everybody is on a sell, right? When you when you're raising money for your business, you're on a sell. Everybody knows that's fine. And I accept that. But it's that, you know, there's always a, a sort of line where you think, well, that, that goes over my personal moral line for what to exaggerate out about those sorts of things. Or if, for example, I feel like the founding team aren't open to suggestions. And again, it's not that I expect them to listen to me necessarily, but we have lots of experienced angels. And if I feel like they're not considering ideas or, um, you know, thinking about how they might do things and, and I'll just basically, you know, set in that mindset of, no, we're doing it this way then that that gives me pause and I think stores up problems for the future I've probably missed out on a lot of things where I will kick myself down the road but those things you know those things particularly for me uh, do seem to be red flags yeah
0: okay and you you mentioned kind of learning from experience are there any war stories you're willing to share not not naming and shaming the companies but just a, a situation where you overlook something and it didn't work out.
1: One of my little foibles when I invest is if you like, so I don't really like investing in family members working together, partly from experience of like actual day-to-day work and, and and partly from um, an investment experience where you realize that a CEO is perhaps a little autocratic, you know, again, which is not necessarily bad in itself, but it's that whole thing where, you know, it's, they're very much, we are going this way and we're doing that. And then they bring in a spouse or, you know, the spouse also works with them and that just, means that quite a lot of the business, at least in my head, is conducted away from the office. You know, again, which isn't necessarily a problem, but it's a whole thing where it's very hard to take people with you if you're evolving all the time when you're not physically around those people and your ideas evolve over a weekend or at night, you have an epiphany, but nobody else has seen that. And it's very hard to move that along, you know, from personal experience as well at work. You know, I've seen how, how difficult it, and exclusionary it can be for the rest of the team. So that sort of thing, I would say from from experience, definitely, definitely doesn't seem to work in terms of building a business.
0: With the way COVID has gone so far and, and so many teams being virtual um, and, and possibly remaining virtual for the foreseeable future, how do you think the teams have adapted to that? And how has that changed your view of not working in the same space?
1: Whether you're in a virtual space, or an office space. I'm not sure it makes that much difference. I suppose it's about that partnership thing, right? Who, who is your primary team at work? And I'm not saying these things don't work. Lots of people don't mind married couples or whatever. It's just for me, it's that primary team thing. Um, I would say that the, the companies I've worked with largely, I've been so proud of how they've managed to cope, both with cash flow issues, with pivoting, you know, like you say, next and kicks, you know, moving to their online store, you know, with actually how they support their teams, how they are trying to make sure they create a team atmosphere and it's just getting together you know with everybody last once every blue moon or doing sports activities outside walking you know those sorts of things they've largely managed I think to keep themselves together and cope through what's been very difficult because clearly they've also had to furlough people and occasion make people redundant these were really hard decisions for CEOs who previously quite often will have been on primarily a growth trajectory and it's nothing to do with how well they're running a business. I mean, that's got to be really hard. But to be resilient enough to come out and still be in business. And, you know, they all are still in businesses. I think is absolutely brilliant.
0: Fantastic. Um, two, two last questions. So first, what do you see coming next year in terms of trends and kind of what's exciting you in the angel space?
1: Oh, that's always a very interesting question. I, do, I think MedTech is going to continue to grow and grow. Particularly, I think, you know, what we are seeing is some, some companies come up around fertility management and those sorts of things and remote management of that. And you can see there are some areas of medicine where particularly, you know, a lot of stuff is done face to face where it really doesn't need to be done face to face or over the phone. And, you know, if you look at what NHSX is doing and NHS Digital, you know, again, they're trying to smelt lots of these issues. And you've, you can see that there is space for private solutions in the medical sector. But I think one of the other things that is going to become increasingly important is place. So where you are and ideas that make the most of where you are at a point in time, where you live, where you're from, how your built environment works around you. And I feel like that's going to come into its own a little bit, partly because people are where we're lucky enough to be able to, working remotely, because networks are going to be built out all over the country, certainly over the next few years. And also, just because I think people are re-appreciating their local environments a little bit more than we used to. I mean, like now I sit here, I don't know how I fitted in four hours commuting a day. I don't remember how I did that because I'm busy all the time. How on earth, you know, and, and I'm pretty sure a lot of people feel the same way. So, so again, that that sense of place I can see becoming, you know, really actually quite vital and how you enliven communities and make sure there's an awareness of what's going on and those sorts of things. I think there's a lot to be said for uh, what will happen around that in the next two years.
0: So last question, you kind of touched a little bit on a lesson learned from from the war story, but um, with with the benefit of hindsight, what do you think was one of the key things you would have liked to have known when you started out angel investing that you would tell yourself uh, if you could go back in time and Let's come up with something different than the don't invest in couples.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. So the thing actually I would have told myself is that my input is useful. So the, the the thing is when you start with anything new, you know, for most people, and it was certainly very true of me, I, I lack confidence in in thinking that I understood enough, or I could read a cash flow forecast or, or a balance sheet or those sorts of things. I mean. Obviously, I can do that, you know, I've run businesses, but, you know, feeling like when I looked at something or when I read the terms, you know, I would actually be able to say anything useful. And the thing I've learned from it that has actually given me quite a big boost, actually, in lots of other areas as well, is that you can understand a lot of this stuff. And the questions you might ask are largely not stupid. There's very few things that are close to being a stupid question. And actually, the contribution that people make... You know, whether it's me or somebody else who's new to angel investing they shouldn't feel quite so recalcitrant about because actually you know it's useful somebody else may not have thought about it and so i think that's the thing is you know you need to have a little bit more courage of your knowledge experience and convictions because that's at the end of the day you know angel investing is largely you investing those you know knowledge and experience points if you like in, in, to a degree into assessing a business
0: fantastic advice Definitely, definitely worthy of ending the show. Although I will make one last plug for uh, Nixon and kicks, of course, because <laughs> they are a portfolio company. And actually, yeah. they, they are a fantastic um, beverage. Yeah. But also, I wanted to re-highlight um, the fantastic work that you're doing with UK5G, as well as with um, Angel Academy. We are members of Angel Academy as well. Um, it, is a, it is a great organization and has fantastic companies going through it, as the data will tell you. So thank you ever so much for agreeing to be grilled by me. <laughs> Hopefully it wasn't too bad of an experience. And uh, maybe we'll, we'll revisit this conversation in six to 12 months time and see how the environment has changed for angel investing then. So have a great rest of your day, Ross.
1: Great. Thanks very much, Tom.
0: Cheers.